Hello, I'm Rabbi Mark Gelman, and welcome to The God Squad, a podcast you can believe in. Today we're talking about pretend dancing. Look, the first and most obvious truth about how to pray is also the first and most obvious truth about how to dance. I know a little bit more about praying than dancing, but it's the same thing, really. Actually, praying is not the same thing as reading words out of a prayer book. And actually, dancing is not the same thing as just moving your body around while music is playing. Consider the obstacles to prayer. They are huge. They may be insurmountable, actually. The main obstacle to prayer is that it's an act of arrogance, really, of overreaching, a kind of spiritual chutzpah. (laughs) We are basically unworthy to pray. That's the fact. We are weak little sinners asking a great and powerful and perfect God to help us out or help someone we love or forgive us for things we should have known better than to do. The rabbis uh, include in the prayer for thy holidays the Avinu Malkenu, our father, our king. They include the phrase ki ein banu ma'asim in Hebrew, which means simply, we have no deeds. We have no deeds. We come to God poor in virtue, and yet we are asking for immense divine favors that in any rational calculation of our actual virtue, we don't deserve at all. The best summation of spiritual chutzpah is is an old joke, an old Jewish joke, about a grandma attending her grandson on the beach when a big wave suddenly washes the child into the sea. She's bereft. She screams her wild and desperate pleas to God to save her grandson. And then suddenly... A second wave deposits the little tyke back on the beach. He spits out a little water and continues to play with the sand. The woman looks at the boy, looks up at the heavens, and says to God, Well, you know, he had a hat. (laughs) In addition to spiritual chutzpah, there are many other obstacles to prayer. We're trying to speak to an invisible God who is not a person and therefore has no ears, so has no way of knowing if our prayers are actually heard or answered by God. Now, Christians have an easier time of it than that because they have Jesus, who is a person, and saints. Prayer in in Judaism and also in Buddhism is, is quite different. Some of us try to pray without really believing in the God to whom our prayers are addressed. That's a key thing. Then there is also the problem of professional prayer leaders, like me. (laughs) It should be obvious to all of us that we cannot speak to God, to the God of our life, through a professional surrogate. It just doesn't work that way. We have transformed the prayer service into part concert and part lecture with a little personal praying if you can squeeze it in during the 15 or 20 seconds we grudgingly allocate for silent prayer. 
At a large Los Angeles synagogue, the bulletin even reminds people weekly that the rabbi's sermon will begin at 11 a.m. so that the many people who come only for the sermon will not have to waste their time in extraneous praying. Praying is hard enough, but we have made it harder by having prayer leaders. And my unenviable and counterintuitive task is to teach you what I firmly believe, that that praying, despite all the obstacles, despite prayer leaders, despite an invisible God, is actually pretty easy. And you can begin to pray well today if you just learn the greatest secret to prayer, which is, as I said, the same secret to dancing. I call it pretend dancing. Here's how it began. Here's how I learned it. Tommy, Father Tom Hartman, my pal, may his memory be blessed, Tommy and I were together at the book opening for our first book, Where Does God Live? Someone had hired a DJ for the party after the book signing, and I definitely did not like that idea. It looked like too much of a show to me. (laughs) I think I might have wanted disco dancers. I don't know. Anyway, I was just sitting there alone and sulking. I do a really good sulk at a table there after the book signing. Well, Tommy happily worked the room. He came over and said, Mark, get up, let's dance. And I said, Tommy, I don't want to dance. And by the way, you're not my type. So Tommy just grabbed me and pulled me onto the dance floor. And he started to dance, which is, I'm telling you, in all due respect to my beloved friend, a very loose and very generous description of what Tommy was doing. I just stood there doing nothing. Then he looked at me and said, if you can't dance, then at least pretend to dance. Just to keep him from bothering me further, I started to shuffle my feet. So I started to shuffle my feet and just to keep him from bothering me further. Then I started to move my body, just a little, but without any real conviction. Then the DJ played Aretha's song, Respect, and suddenly, somewhere between R-E-S and P-E-C-T, I was, I guess, busting a move and waving my arms and smiling and yelling, and I was dancing. I was no longer pretend dancing. I was really dancing, as far as I could do it. What I understood on that dance floor that day was the secret of pretend dancing. Prayer begins as pretend dancing with God. The real secret of pretend dancing goes far beyond learning how to pray. Pretend dancing is the secret to learning how to do anything important in our lives here on planet Earth. Learning how to do anything begins by first pretending to do it. That's the thing. You must pretend to golf before you can actually golf. You must pretend to write before you can become a writer. You must pretend to be good at your job before you're actually good at your job. 
You must pretend to love before you can actually love. And you must pretend to pray before you can actually pray. Pretend dancing is the key that unlocks every room where all human accomplishment of every worthy goal lies hidden. Other than that, it's just everything else is just not important. Judaism not only understands pretend dancing, Judaism invented pretend dancing. In fact, there's a Hebrew word for pretend dancing, and that word is lishma, which means for its own sake. The rabbis taught about lishma. In the Talmud, in Tractate Pesachim 50b, Maimonides taught the same lesson in Hilchot Shuvah, chapter 10, 5. Rabbi Yehuda said, Rab said, one should always engage in Torah and mitzvot, commandments, even if lo lishma, even if not for its own sake. Since from lo lishma, he comes to lishma for their own sake. So by first pretending to do a mitzvah, a commandment, for its own sake, we eventually learn how to actually perform a mitzvah for its own sake. When we pray lo lishma, we later come to a place where we can actually pray lishma. Lishma means doing something out of love, not rote. If you love God, you begin by pretending to talk to God. The Maimonides, the Rambam, and our sages understood that we all begin our practice of Jewish rituals and values awkwardly and sometimes for ulterior or base reasons. When we first begin to pray, we feel that we are not, we don't really belong or that we're too ignorant, that we don't know Hebrew well enough, we're too removed from the real deal. And that's just fine and just normal because without training, nothing can be real. Without pretending, we can never be trained. It's also fine because as you get into the pretending, there is a moment, and I apologize now to you because I, I, I cannot really describe what precisely happens at that moment, but I know this. There is a moment when you are no longer pretending. There is a moment when all pretense and awkwardness melts away. When all our impure motives are purified, there is a moment when we are praying Lishma. This is the secret and power and miracle of pretend dancing. There was a great uh, Hasidic master, Rabbi Nachman of Bratslav, lived from 1772 to uh, 1810, I think. He understood pretend dancing deeply and he wove it into the fabric of early Hasidic Judaism. His soul must have been smiling watching me dance to Aretha with Tommy, because this is what he taught. Sometimes, when people are joyous and dancing, they grab a man from outside their dancing circle, one who is sad and melancholy, and force him to join with them in their dance, Thus it is with joy. When a person is happy, his own sadness and suffering stand off on the side. But it is a higher achievement 
to struggle and pursue that sadness, bringing it also into the joy until it is transformed. You grab hold of suffering and force it to join with you in the rejoicing. Hmm. Could not have said it better. Another teaching at the heart of uh, Judaism and the heart of pretend dancing is the concept of kavana. Kavana is like lishma, but it's a slightly different thing. Kavana means channeling, but it really means intention. Kavana is having the right intention when you pray. In the Talmud, Masachet Baracho 31a, we're taught, he who prays must direct his heart to heaven. Rabbi Moses Isserlis in the 16th century, author of Shulchan Aruch in Orachayim 98.2, he ruled and he taught, one should not pray in a place or at such a time when there is interference with kavanah. If you can't pray with intention, don't pray. So important was kavanah that the rabbis taught that it's better to say fewer prayers with kavanah than more prayers without it. The opposite of kavanah is keva, which means fixed. Keva is the fixed order of prayer, whether it's Judaism, Christianity, Hinduism, Islam. When your prayer has keva, when it's fixed, you are reading the words. When your prayer has kavanah, the words are reading you. Keva has the same relation to real prayer as pretend dancing has to real dancing. The way I would describe kavanah is that it's a passion for God. When you pray with kavanah, the words don't matter. It is the love behind the words that matter. The author of The Little Prince said, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up your men to collect wood and give orders and distribute the work. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. <laughs> Kavanah is the heart's yearning for and the love of the vast and endless God, who is the only reason we pray. As we learn in the Talmud and Tractate Sanhedrin 106b, the Holy One, blessed be He, desires the heart. God does not want our words in prayer. God wants our heart wrapped in words of prayer. So whenever you connect to your heart, you are actually connecting to God, even if you say or believe that God is not real. In addition to the Jewish teaching of Lishman Kavanah, other teachers of other wisdom and faith traditions, as I've said, have understood and taught the secret of pretend dancing. My favorite Christian theologian, C.S. Lewis, the British philosopher, novelist, poet, Oxford Don, academic, medievalist, literary critic, essayist, lay theologian, broadcaster during World War II, lecturer, Christian apologist, author of the Chronicles of Narnia, and prophet of pretend dancing, wrote, Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come 
to actually love them. Buddhism is a religion based upon pretend dancing. For Buddhism, all existence is pretend, in a way, spiritually pretend. It's shunya, it's without essence. The Buddhist philosopher Thich Nhat Hanh offered up the single best definition of pretend dancing. <clears throat> he taught, sometimes your joy is the source of your smile, but sometimes your smile can be the source of your joy. That's perfect. And of course, on a much less eloquent level, if that popular summation of what amounts to pretend dancing doesn't work it work for you. There's always the saying that we all know, you know, fake it till you make it. That's sort of what I'm teaching today. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, who I think I should call Rabbi Jerry Seinfeld in this context, taught on his way to getting coffee with the comedian Steve Martin. Uh, there is nothing harder than performing on a mountain of confidence to which Rabbi Steve Martin <laughs> said, I decided when I began the act that I would fake confidence because if you did not have confidence, the audience could smell it and then they would become judges. Whereupon Seinfeld taught, but even to fake it is no different from having real confidence. So there you see it. Pretend comedy turns out to be just the same as pretend dancing. The Harvard social psychologist, Dr. Amy Cuddy, has scientifically studied the idea of fake it till you make it, pretend dancing, in her work on human posture. She discovered that simply standing up straight, chin up, shoulders back, hands on hips, in a kind of superhero posture, you know, the one that Superman always struck that pose. Just standing like that radically decreased cortisol, our fear hormone, and radically increased our testosterone levels. Standing straight improved test scores and interview performance. She teaches, she teaches in her book, Presence, and in a popular um, TED lecture that has been viewed by over 20 million viewers. So, for example, we smile when we feel happy, but also when we're forced to smile by holding a pen in our teeth, you know, so you kind of make your face artificially smile, it makes us feel happy. So it goes both ways. Fake it till you make it turns out not only to be a pithy slogan, but actual scientific truth. I just read an amazing new book by a, a brilliant young Christian theologian, Leah Labresco, called Arriving at Amen. What I call pretend dancing, she calls by a very abstruse philosophical term, a xeno-paradoxical faith. That's a mouthful. Zeno of Aaliyah was a pre-Socratic philosopher from the school of Parmenides, and he created a series of paradoxes trying to explain how motion is impossible. You know, he taught famously that an arrow could never reach a target because it first had to go halfway to the target and then halfway to the remaining distance and then halfway and halfway and halfway. And 
and so on, and ad infinitum, which he said would make arriving at the target impossible. Something which people who've been shot by arrows could possibly dispute. Of course, the real solution to Zeno's paradox was to invent calculus. So Zeno's paradox does not solve the problem of how motion is possible, but it does solve the problem of how even difficult prayer is possible. In prayer, you have to sometimes say a confessional prayer to fulfill the commandment to forgive anyone who has sinned against you. Now let's say that you are not a saint but are brutally honest and you really do not want to forgive the people who have sinned against you, which I understand. What you really want is for those sinners to come crawling over to you, kiss your feet, and apologize to you. So how can you forgive? How can you say prayers of forgiveness? You can't. But what you could do is to pray an altered, limited, but honest version of a confessional prayer, which might go something like this. Dear God, I can't forgive those who have hurt me, but I can get halfway there. I cannot pray to forgive them, but I can do this. I can pray to want to forgive them. Some of us, in all honesty, can't even get that far. We can only pray something like this. Dear God, I cannot forgive them. I don't even want to forgive them. But I can pray to want to, want to forgive them. The point here, I'm sure you see it, is that on the way to full prayer, there are partial but honest prayers that we can pray right now. We cannot pray unless we are honest in admitting our limitations. A want-to-want-to-prayer is pretend dancing. It's a bad prayer, but at least it's an honest prayer, and therefore it's a real prayer. It is far better to pray an imperfect but honest want-to-want-to-prayer than a perfect but dishonest I forgive you completely, completely. But if you want to learn how to pray well, you must first learn how to pray badly. Do not let this deter you. Give yourself permission to pray badly, and then someday you will want to pray well. After you learn the secret of pretend dancing, the next great secret is how to, of how to pray is that until you get really good at praying, you should only pray thank you prayers. I teach children how to pray by explaining that there are only four kinds of prayers. Thanks, gimme, oops, and wow. That's my thing. There's only four kinds of prayers. Thanks, obviously you thank God for something. Gimme, where you ask God for something. Oops, where you say you made a mistake. And wow, which are prayers of adoration where you are just amazed at what you're saying. Rainbows, the Grand Canyon, Michael Jordan dunking a basketball, stuff like that. Thanks prayers are prayers of gratitude. Gimme prayers are petitionary, oops prayers are repentance, and wow prayers are prayers of awe. Unfortunately, most of us are brought up to think that all prayers, there's only one kind, that's gimme prayers, prayers where we ask God for something. In Hebrew, gimme prayers are called bakashot, 
It's interesting and wise that on the Sabbath, on Shabbat, the holiest day of the week of the year for Jews, in the central prayer, the Amidah, the Shmon Esrei, all bakashot are removed from the Amidah. On the only day of the week, when even some of us gather in the synagogue to pray, we're forbidden to ask for anything. By focusing on gratitude rather than desire, we activate a higher level of our spiritual being. Thank you prayers are also easier to compose because we all know that we've been given more than we deserve. Let me make sure you understand that. We all know. We all know we've been given more than we deserve. And the only proper response to that fact, and it is a fact, is a prayer of gratitude. We all know that our blessings far exceed our burdens, no matter how bad our burdens are. And saying so results in real honest thanks prayers. Most prayer masters find that when they really get good at thanks prayers, they hardly ever get around to gimme prayers. The great <clears throat> medieval Christian mystic, Meister Eckhart, taught my favorite teaching about this. He taught, if the only prayer you ever say is thank you, it will be enough. If the only prayer you ever say is thank you, it will be enough. And then there is this poem from my favorite modern poet, Mary Oliver. May her memory be for a blessing. It's a poem fittingly entitled Praying. And it's from her book of poems entitled Thirst. I think it's a perfect poem. She wrote, It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. And I pray that for all of us, that we should arrive at a place of silence in which another voice may speak. Good luck with pretend dancing. I'm Rabbi Mark Gilman. Thanks for listening to The God Squad. The God Squad podcast is a production of the Mark Gelman Institute. I know the guy. And this episode was produced by Matthew Siegel at Silicon Bowery. Until next time, you can find us on Google, Apple, Spotify, and many other fine podcast locations. Love to hear from you at rabbi at godsquadpodcast.com. God bless us, one and all. <laughs>